last several weeks about the Trinity. And that is that Trinity is what is the Bible teaches, and that is, how can I put it, put in the most simplistic terms, right, that these three truths compose the Trinity. God is one. God is three persons. All three persons are fully God. The Bible teaches all three things. And we've looked at that. We looked over the last several weeks. First of all, from the very beginning, God shows us the plurality of his nature. Even though, you know, not being as clear as it finally becomes in the New Testament, but we see from the very beginning the vast overall usage of the word God in the Old Testament is the plural form of God. Even in even in a passage that many have used throughout the years, that millennia actually, still to this day, they try to say uh, modalism or that, uh, you know, there's God and he shows up in three forms and or else the Holy Spirit and the Son are not fully God. They're just, whatever they are, they're, they're not fully God. But we see that they use our Deuteronomy 6.4. Hero Israel, right? Our Lord is one. One God, right? And then we looked at that, though, and if you remember, the word one there, they could have used the Hebrew word for the numeral one, but they did not. They used the word, the Hebrew word for unity. And when speaking of God in the Old Testament, when they use that, that form, they mention the word one there when talking specifically about God, it's always the one meaning, right, Plural, again, but also in union with, right? Perfect union with. And also then, we went in, and, and it's always been easier to understand, we've talked about that, that, right? Well, the Father is God, right? And modalism, other will teach, but in some form of modalism is the main attack, even to this very day, right? That, well, sometimes in the Old Testament, he mainly appeared as God the Father, and then and then he appeared as the Son when, you know, in Jesus when he walked here on the earth. And now that Jesus has gone up, right, now he appears to us as the Holy Spirit. But they're all the same. There's no distinction among them. You know, our, that, that's the most common, common form of false teaching about it, right, which really diminishes and takes away from the truth, the glory and the majesty of, of both the Son and the Holy Spirit, who are both fully God, as God the Father is. And we looked at many places, remember especially the last two weeks, about the deity of Jesus Christ. And the scriptures clearly show, right, that Jesus is fully God. That he is a God-man, right? That the God the Father refers to God the Son, as Lord. And he has given all the divine attributes and glory and worship as God the Father. And particularly, right, there's so many clear ones, right, but, you know, like, right, the Word is God, right? And this God appeared before us, the Word, who is the Son, appeared before us in the flesh, who is God. So we saw that clearly. Now, I said, beyond that, before we get into it, what I want to start today is that the Holy Spirit is also fully 
God, yet distinct from God the Son and distinct from God the Father. Yet the three are one in essence, in substance, yet three distinct, three distinct. So does anyone have any questions concerning what we've talked about so far? You know, just the Trinity itself or the divinity of Christ? Well, great. <laughs> uh, I wanted us to, to first start back to, as, as I just did, to first go over a few of the things, a few of the exact scriptures we already talked about because it's really important as we develop, the, develop that the Holy Spirit is also fully God. Right? If you turn to Matthew 28... Right, this is very familiar. We've already we've already gone over it a few times in the last several weeks. But Matthew twenty-eight is so important when we understand, specifically when we understand grammar and the Holy Spirit, God being the author of all Scripture. What He wanted us to learn from this. But remember Matthew twenty-eight in verse nineteen. Jesus right tells his disciples and us. For all time, right? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. That, that's important, the name. It denotes singularity. So, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. In other words, the exact reading of that, in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, right? Showing distinctive properties for each, right? And unless explicitly stated, that's what it always means. If it would have meant that they were the, that they were the same, it was the same person, it would have just said, but different modes, it would have said names, in the names of. You know, just saying he's represented with different names, he's representing himself. No, in the name of. You baptize in the name of the Father, and you baptize in the name of the Son, and you baptize in the name of the Holy Ghost, because all three are God. They are the Godhead, yet God is one. One in essence. We don't worship three gods, right? One Godhead, one God in essence, three distinct persons. Are we ever going to fully understand it? Nope, no one ever has. And all serious error in church history has come from people trying to explain it by either adding to or taking away from what Scripture clearly teaches on the subject. Okay. With that, also, we'll just see the distinctions again. If you remember 2 Corinthians 13, 14, that given us a, you know, a little understanding is, you know, how he's representing and, and so I mean, actually very well to us, the three persons of the Godhead. But in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, right, we know that's a Trinitarian baptismal formula, right? We call this a Trinitarian benediction in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Three distinct if not the saint could have just said, right, well, the, the grace of God be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, 
right? Or the grace and the love and the communion of the Lord be with you all. No, again, the three distinct names. And one other, go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 2. Now remember Peter, of course, we, we understand that, that he's writing to the brethren scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, right, to the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, right, the Holy Ghost, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Again, make it a distinction, right? We can't fully understand, but there's something unique about the operation of God the Father, the operation of God the Son, and the operation of God the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal, co-majestic. They share equal glory, equal co-eternality. Right? They are fully to be worshipped as God. Right? They are, they are the same in, in essence, in all attributes, except different roles and that's how they re relate to their creation. And that's how they relate to their creation. And we're not explained to it, and, and we can't understand it any further than that. Okay? But with that, I wanted us to take a look at, I would say, a kind of intensive, but far from exhaustive, reading of some places in the Scripture would clearly show and talk about the Holy Ghost. He's mentioned throughout Scripture. You know, the term there, but it's so familiar. Everyone recognizes it. Genesis 1 2. Right? Genesis 1 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void. What's verse 2? And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. First introduction to the Holy Spirit. Right? The other thing about it is when, when we talk about Right? We remember that in Genesis 1 right away. Let us make man in our image. Well, we know, we know now, for, especially from the New Testament, that who is he talking to? Right there we know of plurality. Well, one, of, at least he was talking to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, right? And we see there a co-equality. But also we know further from the Old Testament and especially the New Testament. And if you remember last week when we talked about Hebrews, we referred to him over and over again showing that right, the Father calls the Son Lord. Right? So we know he is speaking there, the us and the are, then Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Right? We see that clearly. But let's just kind of go through and we'll see how often, but it's it's interesting right away when we're showing that it shows that even throughout scripture you see many times that we don't understand it, but they're all God. Because we see many times in throughout Scripture, especially the Old Testament, we see God the Father credited with all power and creative force, right? He created everything. With his word, he spoke them. And we see that. Well, we see the Son credited with that also. We also see the Holy Spirit credited with that, showing that they're all God. But in the New Testament, again, it becomes so clear in the unveiling of the Old Testament becomes so much clearer. If you turn to Matthew chapter 1,
in verse 20, and you remember the story, right? This is, you know, you know, after Joseph, this is right after Joseph found out Mary was pregnant, right? But while he thought on these things, Joseph, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So I see that, because it is of God, which is true, right? Because we know elsewhere he's talking about being born of God, right? Well, he, he was born of the Holy Ghost, who is God, right? <clears throat> but go over there, go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There we have Jesus the Son here on earth, the God-man, right? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending on him like a dove, and then God the Father speaking unto him, calling him Son. It's just such a good... <clears throat> it's a good understanding for us there. But go to Mark chapter 1. As I said, this is just a way, we're not going to go through all of them, but what people who are ignorant, or whether they're sincere or not, but where false teachings come from, they want, they either, because you divorce some scriptures from the rest of scripture, right? Just like the word of faith, the reason it got so strong and it's so big and so many people even stay in it or deceived by it, because they use some truth. But in their studies, in their books that they put out, they want you to focus on particular and only those particular passages of Scripture, right? They do not want you studying the whole Bible because it always they contradict all that they teach. But they want you to look at the ones that could seem confusing because you could imagine, right, when you read just a certain particular scripture by itself, or part of a scripture by itself, or even part of a passage alone by itself, it a lot of times might not be so clear. But when you read the whole Bible, which we're instructed and commanded to do, you start, and the Holy Spirit, God, starts illuminating that to us, we become more and more sure and get a better and better understanding of what the truth is because of the clear scriptural teaching. And then when we read these other ones, we just say, oh, I, I, you know, we better understand that. It's a lot harder for us to be led astray by it. But uh, Mark chapter 1, did I read Mark chapter 1? Yeah, verse... Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, Mark 1... 12, yep. In Mark 1, uh, we'll start in verse 11. Well, actually verse 10. Again, an example from Mark recounting the baptism of Jesus. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. Another thing, right? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Verse 11. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Verse 12, and immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Again, the Holy Spirit. Go on to, go on to uh, Luke. In 
And you'll see I'm just laying this down here. We'll draw this all together as we go here very, very soon here. But Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> after, after being, you know, after the angel appearing and giving the message, you know, Mary has found favor with God and shall become pregnant and bring forth a son, call his name Jesus, right? He should be the son of the highest, right? And then... Verse 35, right after Mary, the angel answering, because Mary asked the angel, how shall this be, seeing, you know, I know not a man, right? I'm a virgin. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Right? I want to mention something here, and we'll see it in a few other places too. One of the confusions that they use on people is, or sometimes we can even confuse, especially in our walk, is they'll say, well, the Holy Spirit is kind of a force of God, the, the, the power of God. Right? Well, remember, God is the author of Scripture. So using their own argument against them, let's just say that if they were correct, is, does, does, scripture, does Scripture teach that? Well, let's see, because what I just read there, that means this would, this would read, right, that the power shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Well, the power shall come upon thee, and the power shall overshadow thee. That does not make any sense, right? There's another place in the scripture too, but keep in mind, if you ever hear that argument, you know, to go to it right away, because there's many places in the Old Testament too, right? Right? The Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and the power of the highest overshadowed me. There's language like that all the time. But keep in mind, it's so interesting. You'll see the Spirit used, and then the power. And in their reading, it would be like, the power of the power has come upon me. It makes no sense. They try to confuse people. But go into Luke chapter 12. <laughs> Luke chapter 12. And we'll just, I'll read uh, verse 11. Luke 12, 11. And when they bring you, you know, speaking, you know, as they're, they're going to go on, on to coming here in the near future, preaching and teaching, and when they bring you into the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. So the Holy Ghost himself is teaching. That's not a power. It says the Holy Ghost is teaching you. Using instead of the, just saying God or the Father will teach you or the Lord Jesus Christ will teach you. No, the Holy Ghost will teach you. <clears throat> and, of course, it kind of brings it all together when they try to talk that it's a power or some impersonal force. You know how we should think of the Holy Spirit, right? Because we want to worship God in spirit and truth. Go to John chapter 14. Starting in verse 16. And our, our Lord Jesus speaking. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he, he, denoting personhood, Right? A person. He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. Another word for the Holy Spirit. 
And of course, we know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, they're co-equal, and they have all the same attributes. They just relate to us and their creation in different ways. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him. Him who? The Holy Spirit. Him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Right? He sends him. But it's not Christ that indwells us. It's the Holy Spirit. But they are so equal in power and attributes and so close in union, he can say, I will be with you. Right? And I'll be in you, but it's the Holy Ghost that is in us. The Holy Spirit. But go on to verse 26. Again, going on there in chapter 14. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I bring that up and I focus on that, right? He, he. There we all see several times Lord himself referring to the Holy Spirit as he. So we know it's not a power, a force, it's a person. <clears throat> so that, that, there's just no doubt about that. Scripture is very clear about that. Just go right ahead there to chapter 15. In verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Again, right? He, denoting personhood, right? Not some kind of force. <clears throat> That's an important aspect, right? It's, it's just, we're going to be tying things together here. So we see the Spirit, right? He's referred to as a truth, right? He, he's our teacher. He's our comforter. Right? And he's a person, right? He's a being, uh, a distinct being. Chapter 16, verse 7, starting in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will approve the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So, right, he, he, he will, he will, he will. God's making a point here, right? So there's just a lot of truths, right? We can see there that the Holy Ghost, right, the Spirit of God is referred to over and over and over again as the Holy Ghost. Also the Comforter, also the truth. But, right, and also as a distinct person, definitely not a force. All right, so that can immediately be ruled out. Then again, it just dropping down just a few more, verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, 
and he will show you things to come. Verse 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive a mine and shall show it unto you. Okay, you know, we always say that, right? When God says something once, it's true, and we should listen to it. When he says it two and three times, he's making a point. How about right there when he says it five times? Is he in one verse? He's making a point. He wants us to understand the personhood of the Holy Spirit, that it's not a force. God always knows what false teachings are going to originally arise and the way and the confusion that can come to us. Okay. With that, uh, I just want to get into that and then go to a few other ones where, right, he's definitely the Holy Spirit and God, God's names are used interchangeably. Go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. And we all remember this story, right? You know, the story where, you know, Ananias, Ananias and his wife Sapphira, right, kept back some of the money, so they lied unto God. Okay, verse 3 of chapter 5. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thy own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not right unto men, but unto God. Okay, verse 3, right? Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. The end of verse 4. Who did Peter now say he lied to? God. Right? Changing the names. It's interchangeable, right? God, Holy Spirit. Both fully God. Right, as we keep on that, right? We just all those errors as I mentioned come from either adding to or taking away from the word of God. What it clearly teaches on the subject. It's all he chose to reveal of the subject to us. And we, we just need to understand that. Well, there's something else going to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Verse number two. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said. See, I wanted to place that part, right? Personhood. The personhood of the Holy Spirit. Definitely showing out from those, especially from what we read in John 14, 15, and 16 there, calling in those passages nearly 20 times, He. Right? But also here, right, we see the Holy Ghost said. You know, God, you know, well, yes, God said, let's say God said, or the Lord said, the Holy Ghost said, right? So he's an individual on that, and we see that he speaks. He speaks. Now, going to Romans 8, it's making a few points, so we always, we're trying to understand here, right, that, you know, the Holy Ghost, right, his unique Godhood but also just attributing that he is a person and he is distinct, yet he is also fully God. Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Though so the Spirit intercedes for us, Right? And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, 
because he maketh an intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Right? But just understanding there, right? He intercedes for us. He speaks. <clears throat> but also go on to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'll lose my place here. 3, verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Now that's interesting. The Spirit of God dwells in us. But we're told, right, Jesus is God with us. You go back to the Old Testament, that's why it helps to understand the Old Testament. So the temple of God is where God resides. Now we are the temple of God because the Holy Spirit resides in us. Meaning, the Holy Spirit is who? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's that simple and that profound. And, you know, it, we just need to learn what the scriptures tell us about that. Go on to chapter 6. Like I was saying before, right, this is intensive, but it's far from exhaustive. But I encourage you, it's good because you don't, we don't hear much of this, and I, I like it. You know, it's kind of a, James White put out a book uh, several years ago, but The Forgotten Trinity. But it's true, we don't teach much about it anymore, but it's so important because every major error in church history in one way or another has to do with a misunderstanding of things concerning the Trinity. The divinity of Christ, the divinity of the Holy Spirit, you know, the, 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 the fact of the, the three distinct, yet one, right? And just what the Bible teaches us. We don't know to go beyond that. We're not supposed to even try. And anything going beyond Scripture is our imagination. We have no idea it's true or not. I can guarantee you it, it's not something we, we need because God would have given to us. And I would say it, ver it verges on creating grave sin because... You're searching into what God has chosen not to reveal, and we're not supposed to delve into the secret things. That's what spiritists do. The things, nope, it's not revealed, stay away from it. But uh, chapter 6, verse 19, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. For you, back up at 19. For our body is the temple of who? The Holy Ghost. He's confusing. Holy Ghost, God, right? Well, they're being interchanged here. And we know God's the author of Scripture. He's not trying to actually confuse us because it's confusing to those without. But he says, once we've been born of the Spirit, and it's interesting too, born of the Spirit, well, we're born of God. Yes, we're born of Christ. We're born of the Spirit. All three co-equal. All three co-equal. And they keep talking about them in the same sense, right? All three to be glorified, just different operations, different roles as they relate to their creation. But once we've been born of the Spirit, right, then we're able to discern the things of God and the truths of God. One other place, just go to Ephesians 4. Like I said, this is not exhaustive. There is so much more, but I think the scripture has clearly shown, right, that he is, right? You lie, you lie unto the Holy Ghost, 
right? You lie to God, right? We see that, you know, that the Holy Ghost, we see it throughout Scripture, is clearly defined as a personal being. He resides in us, right? Right? So the Holy Spirit resides in us. Scripture tells God resides in us. Well, right? it's not God and the Holy Spirit. And then we see, right, in the power of the Holy Ghost, and some of will say the Holy Ghost power, the power of the power? It makes no sense. It just is nonsensical when they try to pull stuff like this on us. But Ephesians 4, verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Well, you, can, you only can grieve a person. And by the way, Scripture also here, we're sealed by God. We're sealed by whom, though? Right here, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, i.e., the Holy Spirit is God. But, you know, I'll go there. I just wonder, does anyone have any questions before that? Well, first, I'd like us, right, I could read over and over again many other statements, many other scripture passages that basically say the same exact things as the scripture passages I read. But I hope that I've shown there, right, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God is introduced to us in the very beginning in Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, and very clearly in the New Testament, and he's shown not as a force, but as a person, that also has power, that is also all truth, and called all truth, right, which resides in us, and which protects us, and causes us to grow. We're, you know, he... We have him, and therefore we have his seal, right? But I wanted us to see that. See, this is something that has been an attack from the very beginning, but it is foundational to the truth. The Trinity is, because that Trinity also includes the divinity of Christ. Absolute importance. Our faith stands or falls on it. Also the divinity of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, because we don't believe God comes in and causes us to walk like a dog, you know, and bark and, uh, you know, cause gold dust to fall from the scene. All these ridiculous things are that, you know, well, the Holy Spirit is going to act in some way or do something that God would never do. Well, no, because the Holy Spirit is God. And then the Holy Spirit says or does or commands is something God the Father would, something God the Son. They'll never contradict one another. They are the same yet distinct, but they're the same in power, glory, right, knowledge, presence, everything, co-eternality. But I like the way when we look back, everyone's afraid of creeds because we think, oh, we're part of the Catholic Church now or something. But long before the Catholic Church got completely corrupted and went off right now, and now that it works in purgatory and everything else and the salvation, and teaching a lot of wrong things, like the priest is another Christ, and things like that, right? The, the word Catholic just meant universal. That's what it was understood up to the Reformation. And even shortly after the Reformation, it just now they got the Protestantism, but Protestantism is so broken too. It used to be, when there was a big issue, all the elders of all the churches of all the lands would get together and discuss it. All right, let's get to the matter of this. They all held scripture in high esteem, and even they didn't understand, especially on this thing concerning the Trinity, because it turned the divinity of Christ and everything, they just bowed to scripture. And they explained it in their creeds according 
to their best understanding, they used scripture. And they did not try to go beyond it. For the most part, right? You know, we're, we're meant to make that, but I want to read us a couple passages of that. And I won't read the whole thing, but some significant parts. The Nicene Creed from AD, we know this, 325. And again, they had to meet together and re-verify this in 381. And it was concerning the Trinity. And we've heard the story, we talked about it. Uh, our brother Dean went through it in great detail. If you're here about Athanasius, you know, he was like the one church elder, the one respected that, that just stood on and finally convinced the rest through Scripture alone because they were just misunderstanding, listening to things because they were taking stuff out of context. But we'll listen to this in Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, and this, speaking of Jesus Christ, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. This was all come into because they were coming in saying, oh, well, Christ was begotten. He was born. He was created then. And they were saying, "What? literally, this was one of the quotes, well, whatever begotten means, it doesn't mean he was created. We understand now it means order. Right? He's just been all the privileges, as we would understand it, of the firstborn son back in those days, right? Because he is. Just the way they relate to creation. But that's the reason they keep saying that begotten, right? Because obviously they did not believe that because they're saying God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being a one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. Amen. And ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. Woo! That's, that sounds pretty good to me. And this, and in the Holy Spirit, right? They wanted to cover the controversy and the false teachings, especially about the Son being created, right? Now, the falsehoods about the Holy Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeded from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets, See, they, they, didn't, they didn't have an understanding, just like we today don't have an understanding, but they understood from what they read of Scripture, the Son is fully God, the Holy Spirit is fully God, the Father is fully God, they're equal. Right? I like that one. But, another place, going to the, let's <laughs> go on, like, the Athanasian Creed, I, gotta, I just bought my uh, Wayne Groom systematic theology with me, because why rewrite all this down? The Athanasian Creed, which was roughly 150 or so years later, but in the between the 4th, 5th century A.D., <clears throat> and I like this, and here's how they put it down, right? And this, this is, <laughs> Whosoever will be saved, before all things it is necessary they hold the Catholic faith. And just when we hear that, I'll just say it again. That just meant universal faith. The universal, true, biblical Christian faith. Right? That's why in the beginning it was called the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith, meaning universal. 
This is the truth, the universal truth. And all of us who believe are part of the universal church. Amen? But Catholic. So Catholic faith. Which faith, except everyone do keep whole and undefiled without doubt, he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this. Again, universal, true, biblical Christian faith is this. That we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity. Neither confounding the persons, nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated, the Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, the Holy Spirit incomprehensible, the Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. And also there are not three un uncreated, nor three incomprehensibles, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. So you see, it, like I started, if you were here in the beginning, I mentioned it a few times. Just like Charles Spurgeon, shortly before he passed, gave a good teaching on the Trinity. He was asked, teach on the Trinity. And he said, he remembered, he said, it's been 50 plus years. And he'll say the same thing that he said when he was a, couple, a teacher for a couple of years. You know, I cannot fully comprehend this. Not fully explain to you, but I'll explain what the scriptures say. Nobody has. Everyone who has tried has fallen into error. And it's brought confusion, at the very least, to God. So likewise, going on, it's just so good. We have a couple more minutes here. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Holy Spirit almighty. And they just go on there. You see how they explain to us so well, uh, just that they're stating all the truths they get from Scripture. Because that's all we have. We don't dare go beyond it. At the very least, it'll just confuse us. And trust me, I'm one of those guys, maybe it's just me, but the way my mind works, I remember every now and then, you know, I'll, I'll kind of befuddle myself up against saying, man, I just wish I totally got this. And I've come to the realization along with that, well, if you get it, then you're one up on every single true, responsible, well-gifted teacher the church has ever had. And that's just not so. God hasn't hoiled something back from us for 2,000 years. So all these books on coming into his presence and getting to realize the real Holy Spirit is a bunch of nonsense, at the very least. All right. But they go on there. And what I like is... Yes, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, or they try to take away from the uniqueness and the glory and majesty and honor due unto the Holy Spirit? 
And like, likewise, they try to take away from the uniqueness and the glory and the honor and the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. All three equal, distinct, yet one. And the last one I'll just mention here, right? Uh, that was in but the end of the fourth, start of the first, fifth century, the Athanasian Creed. Again, it came up, so in 1571, the Church of England, and you know, in each one of these, we're not talking like a couple people or something like me, you know, Mike, Dean, and I got together. Dozens and dozens and dozens. In many cases, probably hundreds contributed to this, right? And they looked over for years, right? And they, they come up with things, right? Because they wanted to word it just, just right, right? No ear, but here's how they, the Church of England, and of course, right, the churches were a lot more faithful back then. <laughs> of faith in the holy unity, right? According to their art, the 39 articles of religion. There is but one living and true God, everlasting, without body, parts, or passions, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness, the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. And in unity of this Godhead, there be three persons, of one substance, power, and eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Nice and distinct, right? We don't know we need to go beyond Scripture. But just, you know, just knowing, I just want to talk, you know, next time we'll see about talking about some of the questions that come up and kind of the, the more distinct roles. But be assured, right, that the Holy Ghost which indwells us if we truly have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and his sonship and finished work, right, the same is fully God. Just a different role than the Son and a different role than the Father. And likewise the Son is, but... With that, anyone have any last questions or comments? Feel free. No. <laughs> okay, with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we again come before you and give you all blessing and glory and honor and power. All for you are worthy of such, and you alone are worthy. We thank you, Father, that you have revealed yourself to us. You have given us your spirit, which is God. <laughs> you have given us your word, and by your spirit, which is God, helps to us illuminate and understand you and grow in our grace and knowledge of you, your son, your spirit, the spirit, the just all truth. And we thank you so much for that. Father, again, we just pray for... Uh, Bev's sister, who had a stroke, is pray for her and her recovery. Also, Lord, whatever your will be, but we pray that you would comfort for Bev and the rest of the family, Lord, that, Lord, that you would be glorified through this all. Father, also pray for all the ill among us, Lord. Pray for their speedy recovery and comfort. And, Father, we pray for the upcoming service. We pray, Lord, that you have your way with us. Lord, that you would be glorified in the service, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.